Welcome to the Millennial Politics Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Valerie. My pronouns are she, her, hers. And today I'm joined by Andrew Gillum, mayor of Tallahassee and Democratic candidate for governor of Florida. Thanks for coming on. Thank you so much, Jordan, for having me. Looking forward to our conversation. Me too. So to start that conversation, could you tell us about your background and what drove you to run for governor? So I am uh, born and raised in the state of Florida was uh, born in Miami-Dade, Florida, the, one of the most populous uh, counties in the state of Florida. I grew up uh, in an area called Richmond Heights. You know, growing up, it was, a, as far as I knew, a good uh, working class slash middle class uh, neighborhood um, um, in, in, in South Dade. Uh, my mother growing up was a school bus driver. My dad was a construction worker. And my parents uh, were two of the hardest working people that I know, even to this moment, to this day. I'm one of seven kids, number five of seven, all boys and one girl, my sister Monique. Um, I'm the first of my siblings to graduate from high school and the first to graduate from college. To have my younger brother and sister come behind me and do the same thing, we know what it means to see intergenerational poverty interrupted at the hands of a good public education. And I'm running for governor because I believe that you shouldn't have to be able to stroke your own check or come from a famous family in order to serve the people of the state of Florida, that you can uh, be born and raised um, and come out of similar circumstances as I have and be able to provide an important service for working class people, uh, for people in our state who want to be heard, who want a voice, who want to be represented and, and who want a champion. And I know what it means to not only try to survive in this state, but what it means to thrive in the state of Florida. And I want to create that opportunity for every child, regardless of where they come from, their countries of origin, the language that they speak, the faith that they have, um, the side of town that they grow up on, that they have um, the opportunity to excel in this state. And, um, and I'm focused on creating that kind of state. So what policies would you like to implement to create that opportunity? Well, I'll tell you, there's, there are so many um, um, ways in which we've got to transform this state. It's been 20 years uh, of Republican control in the state of Florida. It's been 20 years since the Democrat has had an opportunity to lead. And uh, if I have to be blunt about it, the Republicans have done everything that they can to uh, overturn um, a lot of the policies that have, I believe, built and strengthened the state of Florida um, to begin education. Um, they've um, uh, worked overtime to see the public education system in this state transformed um, into a for-profit, private, uh, profit-making entity. They uh, have created a state where I believe Florida is now 37th in quality. Uh, we're in the bottom 10 uh, percent of states when it comes to uh, starting salaries for teaching professionals. Um, you know, nearly 40 percent of our kids are starting kindergarten, not ready to learn. Uh, we have a lot of work to do to transform uh, this state uh, such that uh, our kids um, have an equal shot at success, that they have an opportunity to access a good public education system, a good classroom with good teachers and teachers who are paid with their worth, uh, which is why I proposed uh, a billion dollar revenue program where we will um, take those resources and invest it first in paying teachers a starting salary of $50,000 a year, um, creating access to high quality early learning for kids zero to five um, uh, in this state, um, made available especially to low income families who oftentimes aren't able to afford the burden of, of, of high cost early childhood education. Um, and the other thing that we have proposed doing is investing money in our school constru construction to create um, places of inspiration 
where our kids can learn and grow and not mole infested and, and crumbling infrastructure and buildings um, where our kids are being asked to report to, to learn and be inspired when there's very little to be inspired by. Um, and finally, we are uh, proposing a program to, in the high school years, um, equip our kids with the knowledge and the skills and the tools and the access to jobs and apprenticeships, um, skills training, uh, woodwork, shop, mechanical, electrical, technical programming that will allow them to, if they are not on a pathway to college, to still gain a skill, a skill that they could monetize, go to work, get a good job and, and make a good way for themselves and for their families. We've got to lean into the environment. We want to create kind of environment of Florida's future. Uh, sea level rise is a threat to this state. And unfortunately, our Republican governor and Republican leadership put their heads in the sand, um, excusing themselves out of action by saying they're not scientists and therefore can't say whether or not global warming and climate change is real. Never mind, we live on a state um, where in Miami Beach, they're closing down streets due to high tide, which is a natural occurrence. I believe we can have the kind of state of, 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 of the future that we should be teaching every place else around the globe how to deal with and confront the challenges of global climate change and sea level rise. Uh, by hardening our infrastructure, by pushing water away from people and property, by investing in future energy, um, not just the old uh, sources of, of energy of the past, but solar energy and the next invention of, 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 of innovation around energy creation as well as distribution. I think Florida can be a leader here. And as governor, I plan to make us a leader. And there's so many other uh, issues, Jordan, that, 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 that we could obviously confront. We've got a lot of work to do. It's been 20 years, but those are some of the things that I'm certainly passionate about. So in the aftermath of the Parkland shooting, we've seen some not so great proposals from Republicans about how to prevent gun violence in schools, including arming teachers and further militarization. What are your thoughts on these Republican proposals and what proposals to prevent gun violence would you counter with? Well, I tell you, I've been very, very disappointed by the legislative reaction to the horrific um, um, and tragic violence that visited Stoneman Douglas High School uh, now a little over a month ago. But I've been encouraged by the activism and the students' voices and the passion and the compassion and the clarity under which these young people are speaking and are leading and are saying something and are having impact. I believe that we should not be arming teachers with weapons. We should be arming them with a good wage. We should be arming them with school supplies. We should be arming them with support uh, in the classroom um, and not weapons. There are people who have that job. That job, however, is not the job of our teachers. Already, we ask our teachers to be teaching professionals, to be guidance counselors, to be deans, to be the social workers. And now we want to add to it, be the security guard. Um, it's unacceptable and it's insufficient to response considering the scale of the challenge that we face. We are in love with guns, it seems, in this country. And um, if the Republicans have their way, they would have guns everywhere. And I don't think that's how we make our communities and schools safer. I think we make our schools safer by ensuring that our kids are showing up uh, ready to learn. And that, of course, begins before they ever enter the K-12 system, uh, which is why my emphasis on early childhood education is, 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 is so pivotal to transforming the future of this state. Um, I do believe um, that we should ensure um, safe environments. And we have SRO officers, school resource officers uh, that have that job, but we should not create these hardened, fortified, um, military-like compounds um, in exchange for the belief of safety when we could take other steps as it relates to gun violence to ensure that these individuals who shouldn't have these weapons don't get them in the first place. 
I believe in assault weapons uh, ban. I believe that weapons of war belong in our military and not on our city streets. I believe in a ban on high capacity magazines. I believe in strengthening the background checks of individuals um, and those who are confronted with mental health challenges that they get the help that they need. I believe that domestic violence abusers should have their uh, access to guns abridged. I believe um, that we deserve um, a set of elected officials uh, who have the interest of people in mind and not the interest of the gun lobby. And frankly, I should amend that to say gun manufacturers, but the interests of everyday people, um, our kids. Um, uh, we should make our schools safe by making sure we arm our kids with education and with resources and with ideas and aspirations and inspiration, um, not with weapons. Um, uh, and I think we had a moment here in our state. And I think that the governor and the Republican leadership shrunk from that moment to do something really bold, really creative and something that would really help to keep our kids safe. So looking deeper into your state in particular, Florida has some of the most lax gun laws in the country with policies like open carry and stand your ground, which was notably used to justify the murder of Trayvon Martin. What are your thoughts on these laws? Well, I'm against the stand your ground law. Um, uh, it really is a license to kill. Uh, and we have seen it used that way. Um, certainly in the case of Trayvon Martin, which has, uh, has been the most popular version of it. But there have been other miscarriages of justice under the color of stand your ground that is, again, snuffed out the lives of innocent people prematurely. And, and again, these have been laws that have been championed by the gun lobby in this state that have run roughshod over Florida uh, for far too long. And it's time to bring them to heel. It's time to put the, the interest uh, of regular everyday citizens ahead of that of, again, the gun manufacturing uh, lobby. Um, um, their solution to any gun violence is uh, arm more people. Um, their solution is, is that the only way to stop a, a, a bad person with a gun is a law-abiding citizen with a gun. And unfortunately, in every one of these recent mass shooting cases we've seen is that they were all law-abiding citizens before they became bloody murderers. Um, and so we've got to address the weaponry in, in their hands. I myself have been sued by the gun lobby. They took us to court for two years, um, all because we refused to repeal an ordinance in my city which simply said you cannot shoot guns in city parks. And in Florida, we make it possible for elected officials to be sued in their individual capacities for taking on um, uh, safety and security measures um, that relate to, to, to guns and where guns can be used and sold and what type of guns can be used and sold. Um, they sue us. They take us to court. We have to find our own attorneys. They can fine us up to $5,000. They can hold us responsible for paying the attorney's fees of the opposing party up to $100,000. And we can be removed from office at the discretion of the governor. That is Florida law today. That didn't change uh, after the governor's quote-unquote sweep, sweeping gun reform uh, package. That is still possible for local elected officials to be prosecuted, to be sued in their personal capacities uh, over over their own gun regulations. And, and I find that shameful uh, in this state. Um, but it is, in fact, uh, what the law of land is. I will tell you, as governor, um, that will be one of my first priorities is to ensure uh, that that law uh, is removed from the books. I think it is an unjust law to begin with, and it certainly is intended to um, steal uh, and to quiet uh, the voices of everyday people who only are asking to be protected from gun violence. 
So another group that is silenced is immigrants, especially undocumented immigrants. And Florida has a huge immigrant population. Uh, and under Donald Trump, we've seen a much more visible assault on that population. But since Florida has a Republican governor and legislature, your state has really been unable to do much or unwilling to do much to protect undocumented Floridians. How would you hope to change this as governor? Well, I think it matters what our leaders have to say. Um, I have been very strong in my defense of our state being a state of the future and a welcoming state, a state that embraces DACA recipients and pushes back against the maligning uh, that this Trump administration does of anybody, uh, any person of color, it seems. He takes and uh, holds his most aggressive and offensive remarks, it seems, for women of color and a people of color. Um, and, 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 and we've got to push back on that. In fact, I challenged the Speaker of the House to a debate, um, frankly, right the day before uh, the shooting uh, um, uh, at, 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 uh, in Parkland. And we debated a very controversial ad that he decided to put up on television portraying um, all undocumented persons as murderers out to kill our children. Um, it was an insidious ad. It was a bottom of the barrel, scrape the bottom ad. It was a not a dog whistle, but he pulled out a bullhorn um, to make the point that people in this state should be afraid of people of color. Um, uh, and I challenged him on that. And I said that people are not illegals. Actions may be illegal, but people are not illegals. And the reason why you, you find them using that language is to strip the, uh, undocumented folks of their humanity. Uh, because if you can strip people of their humanity, you can do anything to them. Um, and and it, it means you can cause us to care less about them because we don't see them as equals. And as governor, I will push back against that kind of uh, rhetoric, dangerous rhetoric, um, push Washington to come up with comprehensive immigration reform. There are 20 million reported undocumented individuals in this country. Um, they deserve to have uh, the fate of their status settled, um, us to come up with uh, compassionate and in, in, in an legal way uh, to, to, to settle this issue. But going state by state with these kind of hyperbolic, divisive, racist kinds of policies that, in my opinion, will lead to the profiling of individuals and the criminalization of individuals based off of the way that they look um, is not the kind of state that we are, is not the future of the state of Florida. And we've got to make sure that we silence that kind of rhetoric uh, by pushing those individuals who would choose to divide us out of public office. They are not they are not fit uh, to serve um, when they're willing to create that kind of, uh, of division. So I'm glad to see that you understand this as a racial justice issue that's so important. And another really key racial justice issue in our in our country and in your state is voting rights. Florida is one of the only states in the country that permanently strips Americans convicted of felonies of the right to vote, even after they've completed their sentences. Nationwide, this policy has disenfranchised over 6 million people, 1.5 million of them being from Florida. And that's a quarter of the voting age black population in Florida that's legally barred from voting. However, there is a ballot initiative that those in Florida with the ability to vote can vote on in November that would restore the right to vote to Floridians convicted of felonies. Do you support this measure? I do support that measure. Um, 
listen, in this state, we are dealing with Jim Crow era policy around rights restoration. Um, its sole intent, in my opinion, is to disenfranchise these kinds of vulnerable communities, largely communities of color, as you have already identified, a quarter of the voting age population um, uh, in this state, uh, in the in the black community, now disenfranchised, um, where they have to go before the great governor in the cabinet and beg to have their civil rights restored, beg to have their dignity put back in place. Listen, if you commit a crime, you got to do the time. But once you paid your debt to society, um, I believe you should be able to re-enter society. Republicans are fond of saying, pull yourself up by the bootstrap. Yet they erect every barrier imaginable to keep people from being able to do just that. It is my position that we ought to pass this constitutional amendment, thereby re-enfranchising nearly a million Floridians immediately. Um, we also should attack some of the other systemic barriers that keep these individuals from being able to reintegrate into society successfully. Yes, first the right to vote and their civil rights being restored, but also yes to their ability to apply for jobs and be measured on their merit, not on whether or not they've ever committed a crime and made a mistake, but being measured on their merit. In my city, uh, we don't ask about criminal background history when you apply for a job at the city of Tallahassee unless answering yes as a disqualifier for the job. Well, overwhelmingly, it is not a disqualifier. And if it isn't, then we want to measure you on whether or not uh, do you have the abilities to do the job? Will you make a good employee? Will you contribute to the growth and the development and the success of this organization? And if you do that, we will hire you and put you to work. And what we've learned is that some of those individuals, some of the best working employees that we have within our government, because they know what it means to be without. Well, we have to have the kind of policies that promote, yes, the restoration of rights and civil rights in this state, but also the opportunity for people to get access to a job where they can make enough to take care of themselves and their family and earn their way here in society. Uh, and unfortunately, we're doing the exact opposite under today's uh, policy regime. And I hope to change that in November. And if we fail to do that as governor of the state of Florida, you can expect that we're going to do that through executive order. So I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up because we've talked a lot today about how the Republican Florida legislature has enabled and even fostered inequality and discrimination. What are you doing to flip the legislature in November? Yeah, I think it's an important um, question. Uh, and I believe that we are going to have wind at our backs uh, here in the state of Florida. Already we picked up um, uh, two previously held Republican seats, one in the Senate, and one in the House. Uh, and in Margaret Good's case uh, in the House of Representatives, um, she took a seat that uh, the previous Republican who won it had a 15 point advantage. Um, and she moved that 15 points her direction to become um, a, a state representative as a Democrat in that in that in that Republican held seat. Uh, Annette Tadeo similarly took a, a previous uh, uh, Senate seat held by a Republican member and flipped it blue. I believe that if I am at the top of the ticket as a Democratic nominee, that we will have the ability to attract out the vast diversity of the Democratic Party that is going to be necessary to win back this state this November. And not just Democrats. We're also going to compel the majority of independents in this state who I believe are closer aligned with the values of the Democratic Party than they are the Republican Party and let them know that they have a place with us as well. And that if they trust us again with the opportunity to serve, that we're going to transform this state in a way where their voices can be heard again. Um, and we can't just do that with the governor's seat. We've got to have companions in the House and in the Senate uh, to help us accomplish this agenda. And I honestly believe as, as our party's nominee, uh, should I be so fortunate, uh, we'll be able to pull together the kind of coalition 
and enthusiasm of that coalition that will help us flip this state. So when thinking about building that coalition, you, of course, are looking at the top issues in your state and in the country. And according to polling, it seems that healthcare is really at the forefront uh, of the minds of voters in the Democratic Party. You support Senator Bernie Sanders' Medicare for All plan. How would you go about implementing that on a statewide level? It's a great question. And, and, and the way we see it is as a phased approach. Our high value um, in this conversation around healthcare is that we believe that healthcare is a right and not a privilege. And what we've got to do, short of the actions of the federal government, is that we've got to take steps every single day um, in this state that we are able to have power uh, that moves us closer to access to healthcare uh, for all people here in the state of Florida. And it's my hope nationally. Uh, we need uh, the federal government to move uh, on this idea of providing access to healthcare. Uh, affordable health care for all people. Um, Obama tried to move us in that direction. And I believe the first step we can take is by expanding Medicaid to one and a half million of the most medically needy people in the state of Florida. The Republican legislature and the governor have refused to expand Medicaid. Their refusal to do so cost us in last year's budget alone $6 billion that we could have pulled down from the federal government to shore up the cost of health care in this state that because they have a philosophical divide and difference um, we refuse to pull down that money because we refuse to expand Medicaid. Um, I think we have to look toward um, ensuring, one, that we uh, expand Medicaid, but two, make sure that we're able to provide our public hospitals and our public clinics and our non-profits in this state the ability to expand coverage to the uninsured right now. Dental coverage, basic and routine maintenance coverage and access to health care. The state has continuously sliced resources going to those community-based hospitals and community-based clinics year after year. I think it was $25 million in last year's budget alone um, um, uh, in, in, in that category for those kinds of clinics. Um, that's no way to see for um, the most vulnerable people in our state. It's my belief that if we have a healthy population, we have a strong population. A strong population attracts the kind of industry and the kind of jobs and the kind of quality of life that people want to be around. Um, sick populations, unhealthy individuals, people who are who are who are trying to survive through intergenerational poverty, um, uh, create a, a state that is undesirable for folks. And so, when we lean into these issues, when we talk about paying a livable wage, when we talk about access to to uh, affordable and accessible health care and health care as a right and not a privilege, um, not only do those individuals who are directly impacted benefit, but the state benefits. We become the kind of place that people are attracted to want to come, want to stay, want to live, want to work, want to play, want to build industry, want to build jobs, want to create, um, want to educate their kids. Um, that's the kind of state I envision for us. Um, but it takes a governor with a North Star on how we create that kind of a dynamic here in Florida. So another statewide policy that's very important is a ban on quote-unquote conversion therapy. For any of our listeners who might not be familiar, conversion therapy is a debunked and dangerous religious practice in which LGBTQ people are supposedly therapied out of being LGBTQ, which overwhelmingly leads to mental health issues, homelessness, and oftentimes suicide. Yet it's still legal on a federal level, and Florida is one of the many states that hasn't banned it statewide. Would you fight to ban conversion therapy as governor? I absolutely would. It has been debunked by scientists, by doctors, by uh, medical professionals. Aside from the impacts that we're able to account for on paper, 
imagine the level of depression, the level of suicides that we see uh, in the LGBT community because of dangerous um, tactics like conversion therapy, which lessen who we are as people, who uh, uh, makes the LGBT community feel uh, less than. It is already hard enough. Um, add to it um, these kinds of dangerous practices. We need to outlaw them here in the state of Florida. We need to see them outlawed across the country. So going back to a point you've made a few times throughout this interview, you've mentioned intergenerational poverty. Could you expand a little bit about what that means and how that's unique to the population of Florida? Yeah, well, uh, simply it is you've got folks who are born in poverty and regardless of their hard work and their discipline, you know, all the things that we're told about how people make shifts between stratas in this country, those folks live and they die poor. The income concentration and the wealth concentration in this country uh, that Republicans uh, continue to believe filters down and or rains down, whatever trickles down, as they say, uh, on the individuals to create opportunity for, for all people is a myth. That is not how it works. How it works is we provide a good quality education to people and that we create the kind of jobs that pay wages where people are able to claw themselves up out of poverty. We make sure that we put the appropriate checks around the market system such that it is not able to run roughshod and ramrod uh, the rest of, of, of hardworking people in, 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 in the state and in this country. The system is structurally um, uh, designed in such a way that it does not create the kind of lift and opportunity that so many of us like to believe exists in this country. The fact that wealth is being passed uh, generationally and poverty is also being, uh, frankly, applied intergenerationally is a stain on uh, the very bedrock belief of this country, which is no matter where you come from, uh, what your parents did, uh, what languages you speak, that in this country you can still have the opportunity to make your way to the top and become whatever it is and whomever it is that you desire. Uh, and we've got to create that kind of lift. Being able to do that means having elected officials who understand what that means and are, are, are intentioned around addressing the systemic public policy failures that create the opportunity for people, uh, again, to, to, to aspire to the highest values and principles of this country, to live out the trueness of the American dream. Um, um, and unfortunately, that dream is fleeting for far too many of us. So lastly, how can folks get involved in your campaign and where can they find you online? Yeah, well, we're on all of the um, uh, social media platforms, Instagram, Facebook, uh, Twitter, Andrew Gillum. Uh, almost all of those are at Andrew Gillum. And then our website, andrewgillum.com. That's A-N-D-R-E-W-G-I-L-L-U-M as in Mary dot com. Uh, and we want people to engage uh, in our campaign. We want them to check us out. I want them to not just believe what I say uh, and to trust my words, but to trust me by my actions, um, that we have a resume and a record of 15 years of public service across a range of public policy issues. Uh, and I'll tell you, I'm the same today uh, in my belief system as I was when I first ran. I'm still optimistic about who we are and what we can become. Um, um, and I'm even more optimistic about um, uh, this election, this August and this November, and a real chance to flip this state and to put people back in power. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. I think your candidacy is really exciting. It's among the, the top progressive candidacies in the nation this year. So I really appreciated talking with you. Thank you for that, Rhoda. And I enjoyed the conversation and wish you the very best. 
Thank you. Absolutely. So again, for our listeners, I'm Jordan Valerie, politics editor at Millennial Politics. You can find me on Twitter at Jordan Val Allen. Make sure to follow Millennial Politics on social media, subscribe to our newsletter, and check out our merch at millennialpolitics.co. And stay tuned for the next episode of our podcast. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.